0: Turn to our master text in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is our master text as we continue this series that we've been on the last several weeks. And as you're turning to Daniel chapter 9, I should probably find that myself, don't you think? So I'm finding that and you're finding that. And then we will read that together. Okay. Everybody okay this morning? All right. Praise the Lord. All right. So... And just by way of introduction, I just want to say that I actually prepared this teaching several weeks ago, and it's actually a a variation of a teaching I did back in 2022, and I felt led to revisit this topic on United We Stand and Divided We Fall, but I felt like that God wanted me to spend some time studying the life of Daniel first, uh, so I've saved today's teaching for the finale on this series Called An Excellent Spirit, where we've been studying the, the book of Daniel, or the life of Daniel. Now, by the way, the book of Daniel only provides the events in Daniel's life in just a few of the chapters. It's a 12-chapter book, and in that book, there's only a few chapters that deal with the events of Daniel's life, and the rest are the prophecies of Daniel, because Daniel was a great prophet, okay? So on that note, stand up with me, if you will, and read, let's read our master text Daniel 9, verses 4 through 16. Um, And it says this, and this is Daniel speaking I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. I want to put a special emphasis upon that word we, and I'll explain why in a moment. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame the men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O oh Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept his laws he gave us through his servant The prophets, his servants, the prophets, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. He continues. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled your words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all the disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. And all God's people say, Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, that's a very sober reading, I realize. And I'm not going to be preaching hellfire and brimstone today. That's not the reason that I brought that reading out. But I want you to notice something. Notice that Daniel appeals to God on the basis of God's mercy for, quote, our sins. See, that's what I want to emphasize in that reading because Daniel is described as being a righteous man. He wasn't an idolater like most of Israel at the time of its fall, right? Yet Daniel's sense of unity and oneness with his people caused him to identify with the nation's rebellion against God. And that's because Daniel, you see, understood unity. Daniel understood unity. Now, in contrast, the body of Christ is very splintered today. By last count, there's over 45,000 Christian denominations in the world. Yeah, you heard me right. 45,000 Christian denominations in the world. You know, you know, uh, Amos 3.3 says, How can two walk together lest they be in agreement? And Ecclesiastes 4.12 says that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. In other words, the Bible stresses the importance and the impact... Of unity. See, Satan knows that there's power in unity, and that's why he's constantly fighting against unity in the church. Now, on that note, I'm going to do my illustration now. So, I've asked a strapping young man to come up and help me. So, Brian, could you go ahead and come on up here? So, I have a barbell laid out here, and this is 85 pounds of weight right here. So, um, Brian, I'm going to ask you talcum? your talcum. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, hopefully we're not going to get that. Yeah, I don't that want to okay. No. I'm not here to work. <laughs> so what I want you to do is just pick up the bar. Now, don't hurt yourself. Take it slow. Uh, 85 pounds is it's not a huge amount of weight, but that's not light either. Okay. So just want, to, want you to pick it up from, from the waist and right up to your waist. Okay. Is that, okay. Very good. So put it back down. Now I want you to reverse your grip and, and, and grip it with your palms facing forward. I want to ask you to do something. Do you think that you can curl that? Oh, you got it. Good job, Woo! right on. All right, so, so set it down for a second. So, whoo. All right, so, so do you think you can curl that like five, six, seven times? I wouldn't want it. No, okay. <laughs> I mean, you'd want so how about, how about two or three with some help? With definitely with help. Oh, with help, okay. <laughs> Drew, come on up here. Um, who else is, ha, has a little bit of experience in weightlifting? Lily, really? um, you have some experience in weightlifting. Come here, come up here, Lily. So both of you stand on each side of Brian and grab a, and grab an end and help him help him do like three reps. Okay, that's what that's what. Very good. That's all I want. So. Thanks guys, appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> good, good teamwork, good teamwork, all right. So hopefully that'll stay there the rest of the time. Here's my point in doing that. We do better when there's a team working together. We can do more um, collectively than we can do by ourselves, just like you saw with that illustration. Uh, Brian didn't want to attempt, even attempt like three reps with that weight, he could barely get one up, one rep, but two or three, he didn't feel so confident about that. But with some help, they accomplished three reps very easily, didn't they? So you can accomplish more together than you can by yourself. Now, on that note, I want you to understand that Satan is constantly at work trying to prevent what you saw happening right there. People working together to accomplish more. Satan is constantly at work trying to divide the people of God. And for that reason, because he knows that the kingdom of God does advance mightily through unity. That's why Satan fights against that, because he knows that the kingdom of God advances through unity. And by the way, if you're on social media very much, you've probably noticed there's just all kinds of people that have their little shows and their little videos that they, they post on YouTube and and social media and you probably noticed that social media is just filled with so-called Christian people taking aim at one another there's so much hurtful finger-pointing and bashing of God's people by God's people that it just makes me want to scream sometimes a watching world must sit back and just mock us now That's not to say that there's not all out apostasy and heresy that might need to be addressed from time to time. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about Christians taking issue with one another over doctrinal issues that are not even central to the message of the cross. And then taking a statement or two out of context like the media does. Taking a statement or two out of context and then smearing them all over the internet. Folks, that is evil. We ought not be doing that to one another. That is not keeping with the standard of unity. So here, I'm going to give you three key concepts this morning. And the first key concept is this. We need to be endeavoring to come into agreement with one another. Not looking for ways to be out of agreement with one another. Would you agree with that? So let me read that again. We need to be endeavoring to come into agreement, looking for ways to come into agreement with one another, not looking for ways to be out of agreement for goodness sake. So let me talk to you about the problem of division in the body of Christ today. And I'm going to read you several uh, passages along these lines today. We're going to visit a lot of the scripture today. So in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 18, it says, no praise to offer you, he's saying. Why? Because your gatherings do more harm than good. Ouch. That's a, that's a strong statement, isn't it? Why does they say that? First of all, he writes, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. Now, folks, I want you to know that God hates division. In Proverbs chapter 6, in fact, it, it lists seven things that are an abomination to God. That means something that God intensely hates. And it says that He hates it. It's an abomination to Him when people cause discord or division among the brethren. God hates it. And by the way, there may be some peripheral doctrinal points that we may never see eye to eye on. But if we can still agree on the centrality of our faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died for our sins and who raised on the third day, and who is the only way to the Father, then, folks, we're brethren. Okay? Thus we should heed Ephesians 4.3, which says, make every effort, there's effort here, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know, the fact that Christians divide themselves up into little doctrinal camps over issues that are not even central to our faith is evidence that we've not yet reached full stature in Christ, nor the unity that Ephesians 4 and other places in the Bible talks about. So let me give you a few more readings along those lines. 1 Corinthians 1.10. And by the way, a lot of these readings you're going to find from the book of 1 Corinthians because the Corinthian church was a very immature church. In a lot of ways, they thought they were very spiritual because of all the spiritual experiences that they were having. But they were immature in the sense that there were divisions among them. So let's read a little bit more from 1 Corinthians, this time in, in 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree together so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be united in mind and conviction. Here's another one, 1 Corinthians 3. Verses 1 through 4, a little bit of a longer one here. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Hmm, ouch. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I follow, I'm a follower of Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Aren't you acting just like people of the world? Paul did not mince words on this issue. So in essence, Paul is saying this. Don't assume that you're spiritually mature when you divide yourself into these little camps. As soon as we do that, as a matter of fact, it proves that we're still very spiritually immature. And not just immature, but in fact, according to the text, worldly. Worldly. Now, we, we think of worldliness in terms much different than this as a church, we think of worldliness as sexual immorality, you know, maybe alcohol abuse or, you know, there's all these pictures that people have of these, you know, more obvious things when we think of worldly. But Paul says, if you're divided, you're worldly. Amen. So I want to talk about unity in the church now. We've talked about division within the church, but let's transition to the positive and talk about unity. Well, Romans 14.1 says, and this is also written by the Apostle Paul when writing to the Roman church, he says, "...accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on his opinions." So, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that we need to accept one another without judgment. See, Paul continues his discourse, if you read all of Romans 14, Paul continues his discourse by addressing the factions that were in the church during his day, such as people who uh, observed various food restrictions versus people who believed it was okay to eat anything, and people who observed various holy days with those who believed in practice that every day was the same before God. So Paul's message was that each person does what he or she does out of regard for God and to honor him regardless of what camp they were in on those issues. Now, perhaps a certain position does lack knowledge, and Paul is certainly implying that with, uh, when he addressed the Romans here. But the, his, his primary point in Romans 14, again, if you read the entire context of that, his primary point was that if unity, if unity among the saints isn't our highest priority, then we've greatly erred. I'm going to say that again. If unity among the saints is not our highest priority, we have greatly erred. So let's look at more of Paul's instructions from Romans 14. Okay, so in verse 3, it says, uh, The one who eats everything must not belittle the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So on some of these peripheral doctrinal things that we make such a big deal of, God says, hey, it's not that much of a big deal to me if you just walk in unity, is essentially what he's saying. Now, Paul doesn't stop there, though. As if to drive home his point... With jackhammer-like repetition and force, (laughs) he continues uh, his discourse here. In verse 10, he says, "'Why then do you judge your brother, or why do you belittle your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God.' Therefore, let us stop judging one another. So at this point in the reading, we can kind of sit back, I guess, and breathe a sigh of relief that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is done pointing out our arrogant judgments of one another, but not so fast. Paul hasn't laid down his jackhammer just yet. His forceful instruction continues right into the next chapter in chapter 15. He says in verse 19 in Romans 14, then we'll read uh, his discourse in chapter 15. So then let us pursue what leads to peace and mutual edification. So right into verse or chapter 15, he continues. We who are strong ought to bear with the shortcomings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. He continues. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you harmony with one another in Christ Jesus. So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring glory to God. Well, folks, listen to me. At the end of the day, therefore, it's not even about who speaks in tongues and who doesn't, as an example, or who prophesies and who doesn't, as an example. Because Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that his followers would be one, just as the Father and Son are one. As a matter of fact, he mentions that unity in that prayer in John 17 five times. Five times. Unity is very important to Jesus. So, regardless of your position on some of these doctrinal issues, even if you know you're right, if you're not keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, then you're wrong. I feel like I need to say that again. When it comes to some of these peripheral issues that we take exception with each other over sometimes, And even if you know you're right, if you're not keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, then you're wrong. You played right into the devil's hands and he's having a good laugh at your expense. Folks, Satan knows that one of the most effective weapons that he uses against the church successfully over and over and over again because people fall for his tactics every time almost, is the tactic of division. See, if we've given in to his divisive suggestions and distanced ourselves from our brethren over, over doctrinal disagreements that are peripheral and not central to our faith, then we've been seduced by a dark spirit of pride and division, and God cannot fully bless those who operate that way. As a matter of fact, he says in various places that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, let me clarify something. I want to clarify that this unity that I'm speaking of is for those who are truly in the faith and who are endeavoring to please God to the best of their ability and according to the Word of God. We should not feel obligated, however, to align ourselves with people who purposefully twist Ignore and manipulate the scriptures for their own selfish and sinful desires. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in various places to be very cautious about even fellowshipping with people like that. But those are not the kind of people I'm talking about in this teaching. This teaching is intended for people who earnestly love God, love his word, and love the church. Praise the Lord. So here's my second key concept for this morning, and this is in your notes. You can fill in the fill in the blanks here in your notes. We'd better be careful how we treat God's church, because God's church is His bride. And to it, He has given a special place of protection and honor. Don't you husbands and wives, especially you husbands, have like a, a jealous protection over your wives? That's the way God is for, toward His church. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3.17, the Apostle Paul wrote, get this, the Apostle Paul wrote that anyone who destroys God's church or His his temple, that's the wording that it uses, anyone that destroys God's temple or His church, God will destroy that person because God's temple is sacred. Now on that note, I think some of you might know that I have a, a mentor Near Dallas, Texas, uh, Jerry King. And by the way, for those of you that know Dr. King, be praying for him. His, I mean, he and his wife are both like 86 years old, and his wife, Nancy, it looks like she may be transitioning uh, out of this world into the next one. Uh, so I want, want you to be in prayer for that family and for them. But Dr. King has taught me a lot. Great man of God. And he told me a story once about uh, a man who is kind of a big deal in the entertainment world in terms of, um, he was kind of a behind the scenes guy. So he worked with sound and audio and AV stuff. And uh, he worked with a lot of big names. And then he got saved. And then he got plugged in to a church there in California under uh, Jack Hayford's ministry. I think some of you know who Jack Hayford is. He's going to be with the Lord now. Uh, but this man served alongside Jack Hayford for a number of years. And then something happened. There was a disagreement or something. And this man, whose name was Billy, um, he took off and uh, left that church and abandoned uh, Pastor Hayford and be- began to talk about that church and Jack Hayford very, very negatively to a lot of people and spreading a lot of junk out in the community and gossiping and slandering Pastor Hayford and that ministry for a couple of years, I guess it was. I don't know the time frame. Uh, but uh, eventually what happened was this, this man, Billy, um, approached Dr. King, and, and they were having a conversation, Dr. King knew him pretty well, and he said, hey, I want to show you something on my skin, I don't know what this is, and, and he showed them his little, this little place on his skin, and Dr. King said, you know, I, I'm not a medical doctor, but that looks like skin cancer to me, so I, I'd like you to go get that checked out, and indeed it was skin cancer, and it was very serious. Well. To make a long story short, he eventually reconciled with Jack Hayford, and Jack Hayford was gracious enough to to re-implement him back into ministry, but the, the damage had already been done where his body was concerned, and the cancer continued to progress. And Dr. King was praying for Billy, and Dr. King told me that he felt like the Holy Spirit said to him, don't bother praying because I'm calling him home. Now, that may violate some of our theology a little bit, and I'm not sure it's God that struck him with cancer. I can't really reconcile that, but I can say if we read the book of Job that God may have removed his hand of protection and blessing off of him so that the devil had access to him. We can read that in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul said that uh, there's a, a certain man that he was talking about who said, I have turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his body so that his soul may be saved. And in the case of Billy, it looked like that judgment had already been pronounced. Now, thank God, I, I believe Billy's in heaven today. He was, uh, he was reconciled to Pastor Hayford. But you don't mess with God's church, is the whole point. We'd better be careful how we talk about one another and act toward one another. Because if we're not building one another up, but rather tearing each other down, God's hand may very well be against us. That's very serious, folks. Very serious. So I want you to know, I'm going to talk about here in a minute, what are the things that threaten to divide us? But before I list some things, I want you to know, folks, that there is a satanic force in the world that's working to keep people angry and divided at one another. So what are some of those things that threaten the unity in our, in our church and all churches? Well, first of all, political ideologies. Now, let me make a statement here. I have very strong convictions about certain political positions. And you've, you all know what those are. I've preached on that before. But if we see a few political things a little bit differently, it should not be something that divides us. And honestly, some of these things that threaten to divide us were political ideologies concerned. You know, when COVID hit, I saw people in the church get divided about COVID, about whether to mask or not to mask. Uh, whether to social distance or not social distance. This was a big point of contention in the church, whether to vaccine or not vaccine, right? And, and today I'm, I'm seeing just so much division in the church over these peripheral issues that don't amount to a hill of beans, honestly, when, when it comes down to brass tacks, as they say, such as <laughs> flat earth, okay? Now, listen, I'm, I'm going to, try my best not to say much about that but there there's more and more people that are believing that we live on a disk if you believe that great okay i'm not going to i'm not going to fight you on that because why because it's not worth it i mean who cares if you want to believe that fine i have my position on that i hope you will respect that okay it doesn't matter okay it doesn't matter um, and, and since we just got out of the holidays, I'm seeing people in the church get divided over how we celebrate Christmas or whether to celebrate it or not. And people are getting divided over this. I mean, this, there's just so many things out there now that are threatening the, the unity in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's very sad and tragic. It's satanic is what it is. Don't give into that stuff. That these side issues, hey, if you want to not celebrate Christmas, God bless you. I hope you'll be okay if I do. Okay, just, yeah. Right? Okay. Um, How about some other ones? Doctrinal persuasions. Now, man, we could go off on this for a while. Um, Doctrinal persuasions. This is why, by the way, we have over 45,000 Christian denominations in the world today. Now, I want to say this, though. Some denominations have indeed gone completely off the rails and are not even practicing biblical Christianity anymore the one half of the recently split Methodist denomination comes to mind. Okay, so again, some of these denominations aren't even practicing biblical Christianity anymore. They've been so influenced by the culture that now really it's a cultural churchianity. It's not really biblical Christianity. So there is a time to judge those things and walk away from certain groups, just as Martin Luther did, from the early Roman Catholic Church over their heresies. And and last week I said something I I think needs some clarification for today's teaching. Last week I said that you don't have to sit in judgment over your spiritual leaders because God is doing that, if you remember that. But I want to make some clarification about that um, as it pertains to this teaching. Um, What I really meant by that, and maybe I should have given more clarification when I said that, but I want to give you that clarification now. What, I was, what I'm really uh, talking about is nitpicking every little thing like some people tend to do. Okay? I think some people believe that they're, they have a ministry of nitpicking. That's not a spiritual gift. That's not a spiritual fruit. That's not in the Bible. And boy, I've had people do it to me over the years. I mean nitpicking over the really the silliest things like I had there was one family here many years ago that was very nitpicky over the fact that I'm bivocational and I work outside of the ministry um, while being a pastor and this this person was very hard on me that I actually am bivocational like the Apostle Paul was by the way the Apostle Paul was bivocational if you didn't know that he had a tent making business that helped to support his ministry Uh, We've had people nitpick us over our musical selections. I mean, just over the silliest things. Again, that's not a spiritual gift. Nitpicking isn't a spiritual gift. So that's really what I'm talking about is, you know, you don't have to sit in judgment over your spiritual leaders. God is doing that. But I'm really talking more about the nitpicking thing. Be very careful about that sort of thing. But there are things that we should judge such as heresy, false doctrine, and gross sin. But I'm not talking about that when I'm talking about division within the church. What I'm talking about here is the true family of God and division among ourselves because we may see things, a few things out on the periphery a little bit differently. I want you to know that that grieves the heart of God, ladies and gentlemen, and it's actually the spirit of Antichrist couple of other things, social issues, there's, I won't go off on that. There's various social causes and so, social issues that divide people. And also a big one is hurts and offenses. Now we have to guard against that one too because hurts and offenses are a very effective tool for the enemy to come in and divide and conquer. You've just got to be willing to forgive and move on, folks. Because for every person that's offended you and made you mad, you've done the same thing to three or four people and you don't even, probably even realize it half the time. Okay. All right, so here's what's at stake here. What's at stake is the credibility of the gospel. The credibility of the gospel. John uh, 35 says, "By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another." See, the New Testament often connects the effectiveness of our witness with the genuineness of our love one for another in the church. In other words, if you want to be an effective evangelist, learn to walk in love and unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Praise God. And then 1 Timothy 3.15 says God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. See, the, the church is the pillar of truth because it's, it's the outlet of God's truth into the world. But it's also, as this says, God's household. And so for the church to be an effective pillar of truth, it needs to be a healthy family. And folks, in a healthy family, you don't just walk away from each other just because you had a disagreement over something. See, the church being the church in all its biblical fullness is that's what will best communicate God's ways to the world. Let me say that again. The church being the church in all of its biblical fullness is what will best communicate God's ways. To the world, When we're splintered and fragmented and fighting each other, that doesn't communicate God's ways to the world. It undermines it, as a matter of fact. So let me give you the third and final key concept for this morning. And that's that Jesus' command for us to love one another and walk in unity wasn't just an afterthought. It's the key part of his strategy to win a world that's watching us. I want to say that again. Jesus' command for us to love one another wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a side issue. It was a primary issue. It's the key part, as a matter of fact, of his strategy to win a world that's watching us. Do you know the world's watching us? Absolutely. So when we break fellowship with one another or hurl our little truth bombs at one another over little doctrinal issues that are way out there on the periphery that are not even central to the gospel... We undermine the gospel and weaken its effectiveness in the world. Now, to clarify, and I I do feel like I need to strongly clarify this next statement. You know, some people mistakenly believe that expressing the love of God means that you have to accept every sinful and vile thing that someone does and then pat them on the head and say, oh, it's okay, God loves you. No, that's not the message of Christ, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus' message was one of repentance. In fact, he said, unless you repent, you will perish. That was Jesus' message. So it's not loving to not tell someone the truth and let them go to their destruction uninformed. See, as Christians, we must stand for truth. And that means that sometimes we might get persecuted. That's okay. If they persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute the ones who stand for his truth. Now, on a side note, though, let me clarify that statement as well. On a side note, if you're going to get persecuted for standing for truth, make sure you're getting persecuted for things that really matter. Don't be like some people who go around nitpicking everyone and everything and then claim that they're being persecuted when people can't stand them anymore. Don't be like that, okay? But getting back to my main point, the unity that I'm speaking of isn't unifying yourself with the world. Quite to the contrary. I'm talking specifically about unity within the church. You know, folks, the message of unity among the saints gives us some marching orders, doesn't it? It Gives us some marching orders. In fact, I want to quote here Sam Alberry, who's a pastor and author, And he says, Jesus' words give us something to do. We might not have the best celebrities, the most attractive spokespeople, the most impressive resources, or the most acclaimed thinkers, but we should have the most wonderful relationships. Praise God. All right, I'm almost done, but just a little bit more for you. So our fellowship and our unity, ladies and gentlemen, is predicated on this primarily. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, which most of you know pretty well. Let's read it together. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance as our way of life. See, that is what our unity and our fellowship is predicated upon. You know, last week I said that one of the things that God spoke to me about uh, our fellowship and my life personally and our family, um, and I believe this all pertains to you as well, is the word expansion, For this next year, expansion in every area of your life and every place of our ministry. But, folks, let me just caution you about something. It's great to get a word from the Lord, but when God gives you a word from the Lord, there's usually some marching orders that go along with it. See, it will only happen. Expansion and growth and greater fruitfulness will only happen if we're united. And if we're not, there's a good chance that what God wants to do in you and through you and through us might not happen. Because there's a condition attached to it, which many of God's promises are. There's a condition attached to it. God wants to expand us this year, but there's a condition attached to it. We have to walk in unity with one another. And as a matter of fact, it reminds me of Patrick Henry's words in early America When he stated, united we stand, divided we fall. Let us not split into factions which must destroy that union upon which our existence hangs. Patrick Henry had it right. He knew that division in the nation, in the early part of our our history, would destroy our union. And the same is true with God's church, ladies and gentlemen. The same is true with God's church. So getting back to, circling all the way back around to how we opened up with a reading from Daniel and how Daniel identified with the sins of the nation of Israel and and said, God forgive us for our sins, even though it wasn't him personally that sinned. But he, he knew that there's strength in unity. And I think that's what God wants to communicate to us as we endeavor to come up to a new level and to, be, to have an excellent spirit like Daniel in this new year. If you want to have an excellent spirit, you've got to be a person that's committed to unity in the body of Christ. Because we, we're not islands. We can't do this by ourselves. God has designed it to be a, a participatory type of experience in, in His church. I mean, if you lived on a desert island, even with no Bible, you'd still have the Holy Spirit to guide you. So you could, still, you could still walk with the Lord even on a desert island. But God has designed us to live in community with one another. And design that community to be united in every way. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Stand and pray with me, please.